But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. We are coming to you after our first live tennis in three years. Yeah, our last time on site anywhere was Cincinnati 2019. Mm -hmm. And it honestly, like the years flew by. They were horrible, but they flew by. It feels like just last year. But this is the part of the season where we can take pride that we have tennis at home. Mm -hmm. So we went to... The National Bank Open, which hosted the WTA this year, previously known as the Rogers Cup, previously hosted at the Rexall Center, previously mm -hmm. known as the Aviva Center. Wait, what is it called now? Now known as the Sobeys Arena, Sobeys oh, Park, yes. Sobeys something. Sobeys Stadium. Yes. The men were in Montreal. In case you didn't know, the men and women alternate between Montreal and Toronto every year. So we got the women this year. Next year, we'll get the men. You're looking at me like, wow, oh. that was such an unnecessary preamble. <laughs> Part of this episode will be uh, just our observations of being back on site. So hopefully you're interested in our experience at live tennis. We know it's such a privilege to be able to go to live tennis in person, uh, in your city, on such a high level. Certainly do not take it for granted. And it was really good to get back. We watched Serena Williams win a match on Monday at this tournament, and then the next morning, we all woke up to the news that Serena will be retiring at the US Open this year. On Tuesday of last week, Vogue published her essay where she talked about how she'd be, quote, evolving away from tennis. She doesn't like the word retire. And it was great for me that I got to watch her play without that context. Yes. I really liked, like, you know, of course we knew it was coming, but the announcement makes it very real. It makes it finite, and you start to do this countdown. But on Monday, I was able to watch her with a little bit of freedom, mm -hmm. not thinking, oh, I better enjoy this because this is the last time. She said, quote, I have never liked the word retirement. It doesn't feel like a modern word to me. I've been thinking of this as a transition, but I want to be sensitive about how I use that word which means something very specific and important to a community of people. Okay, Queen. Come on, ally. She goes on to say, There is no happiness in this topic for me. I know it's not the usual thing to say, but I feel a great deal of pain. It's the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. I hate it. <laughs> and I believe every single word of that. Yeah, yeah. I felt there, there was a lot of uh, humanity in this essay. Some of it felt, you know, this is the Serena I want the world to see, but a lot of it felt kind of freeing and, and felt human. And Louisa Thomas wrote in her New Yorker piece about this that the parts that rung true the most were where Serena acknowledged the things that she couldn't do or she didn't do. So I, I want a family and because I'm a woman, it's more difficult for me. Right, I can't have five children like a dad and continue to play tennis in the same way. 
I want 24 slams, but I didn't get it. I might. I might still, but I didn't get it. So that, to me, was so illuminating. And it, it made her feel human. Well, she said, I won't pass 24. Implicit in that is that she could still get to 24 if she wins the US Open, but given that that's the last slam that she'll play, she's acknowledging that she will not pass Margaret Court's so-called record of 24. Mm-hmm. And she tells us that, yes, this is something I wanted. Yeah. And it sucks for me, Serena, that I did not get this. And for years, we've seen the Serena of, I have nothing to lose. I don't feel any pressure. And we knew that was a lie, right? <laughs> we knew it was a defense mechanism. And so to have her at age 40 on the cusp of retirement say, I did want it. And in Grand Slam finals, I probably wanted it too much. And that affected my performance. And then also say, but at the same time, I'm not thinking about her. Mm-hmm. She didn't say I'm not thinking about it, it being the 24. <laughs> she said, I'm not thinking about her, Margaret Court. That I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> How do you feel, James, mm-hmm. now that we finally have the finality of her career in or... Ugh, I mean, it's it's right down the road. You can see it. Is, it is, yeah. I feel stressed because now that there's a, there are a limited number of matches to go, you feel that you have to see every single one, enjoy it, savor those moments, and it's kind of stressful. I feel like I have a lot of work to do over the next month or three weeks. But at the same time, I felt this weird bit of relief, right? And I'm sure Serena, she said, I'm not happy about this. I hate that I have to retire. But she had to have felt some relief or at least some pride. Well, she says she doesn't like thinking about her quote unquote legacy. Right. That's something that she said in press repeatedly. And her answers check out. You know, like you can Mm -hmm. tell that this is not something that she's happy to think about. Because tethered to that is the end of her career. And as we know now, she's not happy to end her career. Right. If she could, she would outsource the babying part and just keep playing and playing and playing. But she's at a crossroads now where one has to give. Right. She wants another child. Olympia wants a sister. (laughs) Not a brother. Only a sister. She tells this story in the Vogue article where Olympia was answering a question from some program that she was listening to or something. And Olympia wasn't aware that Serena was listening, but it was asking Olympia, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Olympia said, a big sister. And Serena said when she heard that, knowing how much being part of the sisterhood of the Williams clan was for her, that that really put into perspective her hopes and desires for her own family and Mm -hmm. Olympia being able to feel what she felt in her life as a sister. Yeah, that's real. You know, that's real life. And her tennis is real life too, but this is is something different. Serena grew up with four sisters. They're really close. They lived in a small house all together. I mean, family is so important to Serena that she said she was afraid to tell her parents of her decision. At 40 years old, obviously they know what's coming, right? I think she highlighted something that's common among goats is that she said, I love to compete. You know, I'm going to miss the fire of competition, which everybody says. But she also said, I like to be on stage. She likes to perform. Exactly. And I feel like to achieve what she's achieved, you have to have that in your personality. 
or else it's going to be even more difficult to do it, right? Like she, she does like to perform. She likes to be the star on stage. And I imagine when a great athlete retires, that feeling is impossible to replace. Like, how do you substitute that intense emotion? I've spoken about this on the show before with respect to folks telling people to retire and offering a reason as to why they don't retire, even though you want or think they should. And that's because that feeling of being able to do something that nobody else in the world can do, there's that at a very stratospheric level, but also on a much more micro level, just the thrill of, in Serena's case, hitting an ace on set point, which she talks about in this piece, being able to do those things in those moments, those little intricate within a match things and do them so well. The feeling of doing those singular things within a match, it's irreplaceable. Like mm-hmm. you cannot recreate that specific feeling in sport outside of sport. She has other things going on that she's doing with this evolution. But what does the equivalent of that look like while writing a check, giving seed money to a new firm? in her venture capital company. There's no tit-for-tat comparison. And so she's going to have... It's going to be a mourning period for her where Mm -hmm. she will never again be able to experience that. And I think that's what's most difficult for these great athletes to give up. It's not the macro part of it where it's, oh, I won't be able to play tennis again. I won't be able to win another slam. It's all the little individual intricacies that make up the whole of being the greatest of all time. And I'm starting to realize that the sisters are probably not going to disappear from tennis in the way that Steffi Graf has. They've held on for so long, first of all. (laughs) They obviously love playing, but I think we're going to see them. Like, of course, they'll still be famous, but I think they're going to stick around. I think you'll see Venus more when she's done playing than you will Serena. Serena even said she's not here about this farewell tour. She, she's not looking forward to it. Right. She says, I don't care about one gr- last crowning achievement where everybody knows that this is it. Mm-hmm. She's just as happy. If she is to not win the U.S. Open, she's just as happy to play her last match, wave to the crowd, and walk off. <laughs> and, you know, she's not going to get that, of course. No. She didn't even get that in Canada. No. And you <laughs> saw how rot and awkward it made her feel. Yeah really emotional just to to play her last match in Toronto. We'll obviously talk more about her career and her achievements and I'm I'm also feeling the pressure to honor an athlete who I've revered for so long like on the show, right? So we we have to do a good job. I also think that perhaps we're going to be doing a Serena episode at some point. I don't know what that will look like but at this Mm -hmm. point now we're going to have to do one. Right. So we'll talk more about her actual career. What I want us to evolve away from mm-hmm. is talking about the things that she didn't do. Because the the numbers speak for themselves. The records speak for themselves. Let's talk about the achievements. You spoke about how, for you personally, one of the emotions that you felt when this news came out was relief. And that was one of my reactions as well, because... Mm-hmm. Throughout the duration of doing this show since 2015, any time Serena has done anything of a note, 
be it on the court, be it something she's wearing. Even when she's not in that conversation at all, she still is the conversation because everybody and them dead granny have something to say about <laughs> Serena Williams whenever she's around. Yeah, yeah. And with this news, again, we had these people coming out of the woodwork. Always got something to say to drag her and Venus's name through the mud just because. Mm-hmm. Because it's a sport for these people. really. Do I want to ever hear about Serena or Venus and how they have or haven't, and even if they did, how poorly they were in press? Never. Never again. No. That'll be one of the greatest reliefs of my life. Because after 25 years in this sport, to now at 41, Serena soon to be 41, and Venus 42 years old, to be trying to put it on their shoulders still... That somehow the survival and the development of women's tennis is dependent on them being fully engaged in a press conference? Brain dead behavior. In 2022? In 2022. In a post-Naomi world? Absolute madness. No. That is a really like a chip on a journalist's shoulder. It's not important. And I mean, that's just one instance, but... The way her body's been talked about, her physique, the way she plays the game, what she should have done in her career, what she shouldn't have done, demeaning her achievements because she's so naturally talented, not giving her the due for the intellect and the hard work required in her game to be who she was. At every turn, talking about Serena Williams has been both a joy and a pain for us on the <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, but I'm not amplifying that bullshit right now. We're, we're in the farewell tour. We are, but I'm saying when I asked you about what was the, the mm-hmm. reaction, I'm explaining why the relief was there for me. Mm-hmm. Because Fair enough. on some level, I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. Or engage with it on the show. We now get to put our bow on this evolution as well. <laughs> you know, I just drown yeah. that nonsense out for good. Yeah. I was struck by the fact that she was going to ghost us. That, that was a distinct possibility. Right, she, for months, as she was recovering from that hamstring injury, she had no interest in practicing at all. And Tiger Woods spoke to her and said... Well, she spoke to Tiger. Okay, fine. She sought him out? Yes. Oh. Tiger said, give it two weeks, practice, and see how you feel. And she said, and I didn't do that. But then I eventually did did that. (laughs) (laughs) And she was also trying to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. which was, okay, well... But that was a surprise to me. So she really would have ghosted us had she gotten pregnant. Yeah, I feel like this final go is kind of happenstance. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, <laughs> it very likely might not have happened. Yeah. Let's move on to the tennis. Let's recap the winners of Toronto and Montreal. And then we'll get into the tennis that we actually saw and the observations. In Toronto... Simona Halep wins her ninth 1,000-level title, joining an elite group. She's fourth on the active list behind Venus, Serena, and Vika for 1,000-level titles. She joins Serena and Martina Navratilova with three Canadian Open titles. Did you know that? I and mean, not, And Monica Sellis? Monica and Chrissy actually have four. Okay. They tied for the most in the Open era. I know that's not like a, a major record, but... 
you know, some Canadian content for you. Like walking through the grounds, I'm pretty sure I saw a banner with Monica Seles 1996 to 1999 or something like that. No, she She was a a superstar at this event, especially in Toronto. Simona Halep beats Beatriz Haddad-Maya in a three-set final. Simona gets back to the top 10, which feels very right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel correct having Simona at number 15. She's clearly one of the top 10 best players still on the WTA. Period. She is. And I really hate to give this win to Patrick. However. So so don't. I'm not. Well, I'm not giving it to Patrick. But I have to give Simona credit for just the way her game and her fitness and her career have turned around this season. She had a rough go of it. And it's not her fault. She had injuries. But she said that she struggled with motivation as well. And she did consider whether this was it if this was curtains on her career and look at her now and the so where does patrick come into this well she gives a lot of credit to patrick Hmm. and she has transformed her team with muratoglu people Uh like fired everybody who's been with her for years yeah yeah to just put all the (laughs) muratoglus on the payroll (laughs) but at this moment in time who's going to tell her that she was wrong to do that Right, winning another thousand level title. And I feel she did not even have to play her best tennis through this tournament. No, but she played well. She did. Most of the women clearly weren't able to win despite not playing their best tennis. <laughs> right, right. Coco is. Simone is just a bad matchup for Coco. Jessica Pagula uh, had that incident where she allegedly, if you read lips, called Simona a pusher. Mm. which i mean you know can i just say the pusher discourse has gotten way out of control way out of like i've been saying this (laughs) but define pusher how do we even define it and watching simona in person i understand like i get it but what's the difference between a counter puncher and a pusher for tennis twitter i don't think there is a difference i think it boils down for a lot of people to will this person hit a bunch of winners, and hit through an opponent like it's nobody's business. And if they can't, then they're a pusher. Right. So the like the only legitimate game style is aggressive baseliner or serve and volleyer. And again... And everybody else is a pusher. And again, I'd like to point out that you have played a part in this, on this podcast. Heralding and privileging the boom boom big babe tennis as your favorite. Yeah, that's... That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that Simona's style sucks. No, It no, just no. means that maybe it's not my favorite to watch. But when Jesse calls her a pusher, it's like, well, if she's a pusher, hit through her. Right. You have a big flat game. Like, this is clearly, this is the heat of the moment. You're frustrated because Simona is incredibly steady. But the woman is fast and she's getting the balls back hard. And, like, Simona is not moonballing everything. Push okay. harder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think when when a lot of people, and myself included, went to see tennis for the first time live, I could not believe how hard these women hit the ball. Even e- the people who you think are pushers. <laughs> exactly. The first time I saw Elisa Mertens, I was like, I've been lied to. My eyes have lied to mm-hmm. me. The internet has lied to me. Like, what is going on? Somebody lied to us several times because even the women with supposedly no power hit pretty hard. Simona, in my mind, 
is not a pusher. She has a very beautiful backhand that I re-appreciate. And she's an incredible athlete. So, uh, so good for her. And I will say that seeing her in person really, it reminded me why I liked her. And it also made me acknowledge that I had been unfair in the past. Mm. Because you were a stan. Back in like 2014, 2015, at the start of this show, Mm -hmm. you were a stan. You were, Simone at one point was the one who you'd stan when we thought the Williamses might be retired. That was a very short Eight years ago. And you know what really did it was the French Open final versus Sharapova. Mm. So, anyway, let's talk about Beatriz Hadadmaya, Brazilian. Lefty. 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 Which, it's the only way that I could tell her apart from Belinda Bencic. (laughs) (laughs) They were wearing a very similar kit. Their faces look very similar. They both look like Heim sisters. I was shook. Mm. Like, I turned on the match and I saw a woman walking toward her chair. I'm like, Belinda's face doesn't look right. Something's wrong. (laughs) It was like an uncanny valley situation. And it wasn't her. Mm. Maybe that's just me. We have to give respect. Put respect on Haddad Maya's name here. Because if you thought her back-to-back grass one-two-step title run was flukish or you know, a cute result. This is backing that up. It is. Beat Martina Trevisan, Leila Fernandez, the uh, the home country girl. Number one, Iga Svantec. Mm-hmm. There's a big one. Belinda Bencic. Another, another big one, to be <laughs> right? frank. Bencic was in excellent form. Pliskova, who had rounded into great form against Zhang, and gives Simona a hell of a time in the final. Somebody else to give... Big ups to Zhang Qingwen. Mercy. This young woman is going to be a star. Yes. One of my favorite matches of the week was Pliskova versus Zhang. It had everything. She, I mean, she really has a lot of star power, charisma, and the game is there, right? Like, the game is a big game that people can stand, that casual fans can watch. That people can stand? There no, we go real. again. <laughs> no, that casual fans, even non-tennis fans, are going to watch and be like, ooh, Oh, wow, mm. she hits hard. You know, <laughs> like, it's one of those uh, everyman games. I'm... Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not regressing. I'm not, I'm not because, denigrating. No, the... I understand. But for all that we just talked about, mm-hmm. I'm shocked, shook, even, that the way you just described Zhang Qinwen and the fact that she's one of your new faves, that this... It, I'm just not surprised. It aligns with my values. Yes, essentially. Which is hit hard... And if that doesn't work, use topspin. And also have a personality. <laughs> right. At this point, nobody, nobody wants to see her name near them in a draw because she can beat anybody. Did you watch that video clip of her from press where she yeah. talked about uh, playing Iga at the French Open and that in her mind, she kind of like gave her the title? <laughs> <laughs> see, this is the kind of confidence that we need and also self-awareness to realize that it's an irrational thought. Because right. if Ostapenko had said it, it would have there would have been no there would have been no humor about it. It would have been no well, absolutely no yes. irony. Exactly. Yeah, we're sort of halfway. We're almost to Ostapenko, but not quite there. Mm. It's the sincerity that makes her. We'll get to some of the observations that we had about the women's tournament from our time on site. 
Before we do that, let's talk about what happened in Montreal. Montreal is a, is a tennis city. The people there love it. I feel like they're knowledgeable. The crowds there are super engaged. And you could see that even though Rafa and Novak weren't there, there weren't super superstars in the final, the spectators were excited. And I love that about the Montreal tournament. I mean, we get people coming to the tennis in Toronto, but not always the most educated about tennis. Which is fine. Like, you know, you don't want to gatekeep. You want people to come because the sport needs to survive. Yeah. But, well, we'll talk We'll talk about yeah. that later. But That's part of the observation yeah. section. The Montreal fans seem so just excited to be there. Pablo Carreño Busta wins a Masters 1000 title. To go with... Two slam semifinals on hard courts. <laughs> yes. And this clay rat is a clay rat no more. Never had been. No, never never was. I think what Nick said was something along the lines of if it weren't for clay and the clay results, he wouldn't even be top 50. Yes, which is, uh, sorry, false. This is his fourth title on hard court, seventh overall. And uh, it was a great week. He beat Bertini in his first match, number seven, Yannick Sinner. Hubert Hercoc in a three-set final. And uh, it was a pretty exciting final. A lot of hustle from Carino. The the returning made the difference. Aggressive returning in the second and third sets. Did you see that point that everybody is saying is point of the year? Yeah. That that was wild. It was. And you're going to see it a lot, I think, through the rest of the year. But I want to I wanna give a little bit of unsolicited advice to men and women who are in... The position that Urkacz found himself in, in the middle of that point. <laughs> you have lobbed this dude, and he's run all the way to the back, and he got the ball back. Now, now the fact that he was able to get that lob back should tell you, do not bring him back into net. Just don't. Don't do it. Time and again, you see where a player gets pushed back and have to run back to the baseline to, to get a ball, and the almost next follow-up shot is like, well, they're far away. Let's F with them <laughs> some more. <laughs> And drop shot him and bring him into the net. Not with somebody this fast. Maybe moonball him again. Like the um, moment I saw that that follow-up shot, that second follow-up shot, try to bring PCB back into the net, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Hubie. Like, this is not <laughs> going to end well for you. But also, he could have smashed a ball and he waited till it dropped. And mm-hmm. that really changed yeah. the momentum of the point. And maybe the sun was in his eyes. Like, maybe he would have missed if he had tried to hit it out of the air. But that changed everything. I imagine the moment PCB gets that lob back, chasing it down and getting it back into play, every subsequent shot from Urkacz is like, well, oh, I can't mess this up. I cannot (laughs) suffer the indignity of losing this point. That's going to be really embarrassing. Yes. But, the, I mean, the returning showed in the stats. Like, Hercotch won only 35% on his second serve, which is really bad. <laughs> He's supposed to be a serve bot, right? And he, I think, dodges the serve bot title because he has a good personality. So that just shows you, if you don't want to be called a serve bot, be nicer. Be more charismatic. You know who you are. Or be hot. No. That, that allows you to dodge it as well. No, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this National Bank or Bank Nacional Open in Montreal was harder to follow for me because we were there in Toronto early in the week while we were on site. It seemed like all of the top men's seeds went out. Dropping like flies. Yeah. 
Four of the top five seeds lost in the second round. That is their first round because they all got buys, meaning they did not win a match. Medvedev lost to Kyrgios. Kyrgios uh, extended his win streak to nine before losing to Horkacz. We could have had a Kasparud Karenio Busta final, which would have been so great considering all the shit that Kyrgios talked about the two of them and their alleged lack of ability on hard courts. <laughs> <laughs> or we could have had a rude Dan Evans final. Amazing. Mm. Did you see that footage of Dan running through the tunnel to go use the bathroom and then the volunteers or the officials running after him? No. Not that he was doing anything wrong, but mm -hmm. running after him to keep up with him. Oh, okay. Because they have to monitor, monitor what he's doing. And the responses. Like, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, we got to go to see if there's allegedly any lines of coke being done. Oh, really? <laughs> really, Jonathan? He owned up to it. And it's not a performance-enhancing drug. No. I don't think so. I'm just saying. Maybe for like 10 minutes. <laughs> the immediate reaction to watching that, something that you don't often see or have access to mm -hmm. seeing, it, it, it brought a little bit of levity to my life. That's really rude. You know what's wild about tennis is that the officials actually adjudicate what is going on in the bathroom. Yes. Like, you're not allowed to take a bathroom break unless you are going number one or number two. How would they know? Why do they care? Who's who's investigating? Like you can't just take a bathroom break to change your clothes. You may not. It's against the rules. You have to go poo-poo or pee-pee. Stop. <laughs> but that's how silly it is. Yes, Like that's is. why I use those words. It is because it is ridiculous. As we talk about the effects of climate change on tennis and players playing in, in even hotter and more humid conditions than ever, they're going to have to change their clothes. Right. There was footage that emerged of a fan accosting Daniel Medvedev after his loss to Nikirio, saying he was a loser. Uh, the boldness in person is surprising. I don't think I've ever seen that as a player actually leaves the stadium. Yeah, it seemed like he was leaving the stadium. Was it the stadium or the yeah. site? It, it looked like he was walking out of the stadium, which was surprising because like he didn't use a tunnel. Hmm. Um, I don't remember enough about the Montreal Stadium. At any rate, somebody was shouting, Loser! Loser! And then Daniil was like, Uh-uh, no ma'am. Turned and right back around right. and went straight to this dude. He was like, What of it? What? what? And that was Daniil's voice demanding that he apologize, right? Mm. I kept hearing somebody tell him to apologize. I'm not sure, to be honest. Mm. Now, the good thing about being in person is that that guy probably got removed and probably got banned i hope so which doesn't happen on twitter <laughs> but but if you're stupid yeah. enough to do it on site like they're gonna throw you out some other notable well i guess losses or wins uh jack draper beat Tsitsipas in the second round draper made the quarterfinals after gail Monfils retired unfortunately nepo baby draper has <laughs> won four challengers this year Nepo baby well, Draper. He is, but he's doing well. Nepotism, you're talking yeah, about. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Jane Fonda's a Nepo baby. Okay. You can overcome it, you know? But Jack uh, has won four challengers. He's gone from number 265 in the world to 55. That's really good. Mm -hmm. He's a lefty. Did you know that? I did not, no. You know, I, I never look at that. And the other 
big notable achievement this week is that Coco Goff and Jesse Pagula win the title in Toronto, and with it, Coco ascends to world number one in doubles. The second youngest ever WTA doubles number one. Only behind team prodigy Martina Hingis. On her ranking at the moment is two Grand Slam finals and a title in Doha and Toronto. On the doubles ranking. Yes. And I was looking through the doubles winners this year and it's really, it's been all over the place. So, so many different teams have won. So at the moment, Coco is very close to being top 10 in both singles and doubles. Came close the week prior in Silicon Valley, the Mobadale event in San Jose, and was a one win away from the top 10. Again in Toronto, was one win away mm. from cracking the top 10 and didn't happen. So yeah. that, that's a yet another milestone for Coco to look forward to. The week before, Kazakina kept her out of the top 10, and Dasha now has lost to Bianca in the first round and has lost today to Anisimova in the first match in Cincinnati. Are we going to move on to some observations? Yeah. The tennis that we saw in Toronto. We were lucky enough to start our day with a Serena Day session. Mm-hmm. First, Simona annihilated Donna Vekic. I mean, oh, yeah, it, was... it was pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Serena played uh, Parisas Diaz. Straight sets match, not straightforward, two hours long. In the second set, there were games that lasted forever. We watched a game that went to nine deuces. And in that match, Serena said, My mama said I was not built to break. (laughs) (laughs) And apart from her second service game of the match, she held every one of those long deuce service games, punctuated by in that second set, just a delicious rally where Serena ended it with an on-the-run forehand cross-court winner that had everybody in that stadium out their seat. I dropped my brand new phone and did not care where it went because it was one of those hard-to-duplicate moments in live sport where something so thrilling happens that you have a completely involuntary response to it. Yeah, and it... It's unusual, especially during a day session where you feel a crowd roar like that in unison. They were so engaged. And my mom actually observed that the roar scared Olympia. Poor thing. She was there and she looked scared after that. And then daddy took her away. (laughs) The match, I don't, I don't leave tennis matches remembering a lot of the individual points because there are so many. I kind of leave with a vibe. Mm -hmm. And the vibe was that there's going to be patches of brilliance there's going to be a lot of just struggle roughness uh but it was such a thrill to see serena on court which for me is going to be the last time and i just felt so lucky that i got to be there and you had a decision to make because once we woke up tuesday morning and the announcement was made that serena's retiring then her second round match became a hot seller It was a hot ticket. Like, those tickets were sold out in no time, and the resale market, Oh, like... So we we had a decision to make, because we did not have Wednesday night tickets. We were kind of playing it by ear, waiting on the order of play to decide, well, what do we do? You were still working. I had the day off, but I wasn't going to buy a night ticket for a session that I'm not going to call on no disrespect on anybody right now. But if it were... A matchup that I didn't want to see, I wasn't going to be spending and wasting that money. Yeah. 
And it was a matchup I did not want to see. It was uh, Serena Bencic. Even though it was Serena, you you made this call and you had to decide for yourself, do I want the last time I see Serena live to be that wonderful moment that I had day one, day session, and have that be it? Or do I want to put myself through watching her potentially lose to Belinda Bencic? And listeners, James made the right call. <laughs> Of course, I would have seen the the ceremony when they gave Serena the hockey jerseys and that just very emotional moment. But I feel very content. I didn't feel good about spending $250 plus to watch her play Benchich. It just it didn't have a good feeling about it. Watching Sloane Stevens play defense is such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. See, this is where the pusher thing is out of control, right? We know Sloane can play boom-boom tennis if she needs to. We saw her do it against Maria Sakkari when she had to. And that is a whole other Sloane Stevens experience that is to be enjoyed. But if... <laughs> you have to take it for what it is. Right? But when you're watching her just get everything back and just how effortless... Her movement is on court. It's it's an, it's just incredible to watch. So she played Sophia Cannon in the first round. And that was one that we highlighted. This is either going to be a mess or it's going to be really fun or both. It, it was, was everything. It was all of those all things. Of those. It was interrupted by rain several times. And no disrespect to Ms. Kennan, but she always seems on the edge, even under good circumstances. Well, she was down big, a set and 5-1 in that match, and just blasted her way back into that match. (laughs) And there were moments, right, where you remembered why this woman is so good, why she's great even, because she plays this brand of, like, video game tennis, right? It's this power that seems like it comes out of nowhere. It's similar to Benchich, but more powerful. And the takeaway for me is that Kenan, while she's lost a lot of matches since she's come back and hasn't had success, she's not that far away. We saw her play mm-hmm. that exhibition in Atlanta, I want to say it was. Yes, yes. Against Coco. And that was not pretty. No, that was a disaster. But when she came to Toronto, yes, she lost in the first round, but she fought through all these brain delays. She was down against Sloan, gets it to a third set, and made it a very exciting match. I think it's it's really... A mental thing. That day, with all the rain delays, we were, I mean, the day before, it looked like possibly, based on the radar, we wouldn't get any tennis. You know, and (laughs) I know they always lie. All summer, they've been saying rain every day and it never rains. There was a stretch where from a Wednesday to Friday, we were supposed to be drowning in thunderstorms. (laughs) And we got one hour total of rain. And so that was the, the sliver of hope, right? We ended up getting Serena uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. It actually, there was a bit of a sun shower during Serena, and they didn't pause. But the fear was, oh my god, we get this great lineup where you get Serena during the day, you get Venus at night, possibly the last time, definitely for you, that you might see them in person, Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen? It's going to get rained out. And that didn't happen. But with those delays, and with that Layla match, (laughs) Venus ended up playing... (laughs) At like 11 p.m. Okay, what happened was, 
Sloane and Sophia were so delayed that they started the night session. They had to mm-hmm. finish their match, and they ended, I think, around 8.30. Yes. The night session starts at 7. So then Layla comes on late. She played for 2 hours and 41 minutes against Storm Sanders. Ma'am, love you, girl, but that third set was dire. I'll, I mean, in I, theory, I had to leave. In theory, we are big fans of Layla Fernandez, <laughs> but in practice, watching her live was not a pleasant experience. No, nothing against the young woman. She seems lovely, but it was a long day, full of rain delays. It was it was not in within my bandwidth to watch a third set with all those deuces while I was thinking about old lady venus behind the scenes Mm -hmm. waiting to come on for the night session you tweeted cheekily that this has made you resolute that tennis needs to abolish deuces (laughs) and some folks didn't quite get that. i mean like defund deuce i i wasn't i was joking but then pam schreiber responded and she was dead serious and i don't blame her if you are especially someone like her who's on site for so much tennis i swear those first few days in toronto I saw more deuces. I saw deuces to last a lifetime. There was a big problem closing out games and sets. I mean, it's one thing when the deuces are being funded by <laughs> jaw-dropping winners and the play is so exciting. Mm. But when it's just a struggle bus battle of ineptitude, <laughs> then it's, oh, it's such a particular brand of futility that's hard to watch. Well, because for me, part of the appeal of tennis is the bizarre scoring system in which you can theoretically play into perpetuity, mm-hmm. into eternity. I like it, unless I'm sitting there in that uncomfortable chair waiting for Venus Williams. And so Venus comes on, and it was not it was not cute. I will say this, Venus looked incredible. Like, at that time of night, if she were going to a club, like, fire. <laughs> the kit looked amazing. Yes. She looked in physically great shape. She didn't look slow. She just could not feel the ball on her racket. Could not string points together. It was difficult to watch, but not defeating to watch. Because you could still see a path forward for her. And you know Venus is searching for that path forward. (laughs) You are such the optimist as a Venus fan. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you will always see the sun when it comes to venus i'm telling you because that match it was rough i've lost many hours of sleep in some of the worst years of her career (laughs) (laughs) and lived to experience 2017 so i mean if venus is up for the challenge i'm up to follow her yeah down that road Mm. the the night session ended around one o'clock it was a long day well it ended after we left we uh but very, very shortly after, yes. we were outside waiting for you to get the car and the match is over. Yeah. Yeah. The second set went super fast. Day two, uh, I didn't go to the day session, but the night session was Bianca versus Dasha Kazatkina in what, what to me was like a very highly anticipated match. Bianca had done a lot of press for Tennis Canada like the night before in the VIP lounge. I didn't even know we had VIP lounge tickets. I feel like everybody did. But you could go inside this building and there was like a wine bar and everything. It was very nice. Air conditioned. Toronto has really stepped their Taurus up because <laughs> the food is 
by orders of magnitude better than it was. Just the facilities, places to sit down, it was so much better. Like, if you're having a Canadian Open, you have Canadian food. Exactly. Having Harvey's there, a big win. It doesn't have to be a $20 steak sandwich from the keg. For real. Which, by the way, was phenomenal. Okay. But if you just wanted an $8 experience Mm -hmm. and a delicious fried chicken sandwich or one of their Angus beef burgers, you could have a quick bite to go (laughs) very quickly at a rate that did not break the bank. Mm -hmm. This was brought to you by Harvey's. (laughs) (laughs) I used to work at Harvey's for about a month Uh, back in the day. I remember it was a very... What's that? Very tempestuous month. <laughs> anyway, the facilities... We were talking about Bianca, actually. But mm-hmm. the reason I, I brought it up was she uh, she gave an interview in front of the whole BMW lounge uh, with someone from Tennis Canada talking about the mental health projects that she's assisting with, like the quiet zones for players, access to mental health care. Like, it's stuff that she clearly finds important. And she did a ton of work for Tennis Canada during this week. Being on the site, you could see Bianca and feel Bianca everywhere. Oh, yeah. And she was doing literal work for them. Mm -hmm. And so that's all to say, off court, I really enjoy this woman. You came into this match saying, wow, like, you're like, you're ready to stand. I was ready. And then, and then I remembered. Because, as you know... Listen, it started from way back in the day, her first breakout year, <laughs> when it started in February. I don't don't remember where they were, but she played Venus that year. Yeah, Would it have been like 2018, I want to say? Or 2019? It may have been that same year that she broke out. But it was 2019. maybe like months before. Uh-huh. And yeah. she beat Venus. And like, okay, fine, you tried it. But then also, in those early matches where she was winning... There was a lot of Bush League stuff. Oh, remember she used to fire the balls back after right. a point and Venus checked her? The, Venus the point would mad. be open and she'd take the ball from her side of the court and fire it back over to Venus's side multiple times. And you're like, what is going on here? Yes, you don't need to do that. And so when one Bush League element was you know, cast aside from her game, others would pop up. <laughs> and it would just be... Why? Why is there always some mess watching a Bianca match. Mm -hmm. She was accused very famously by Angelique Kerber of being a drama queen, which is pretty out of character for Kerber to do that. But Bianca gives you, I will tell you, she gives you bang for your buck. She is entertainment, Ms. Entertainment, for Mm -hmm. real. Like they're, she's show business. Sometimes it's too much. And this crowd was ready for it. They ate They oh. ate everything up. Bianca is from the Toronto area. She's from Mississauga. This is home for her. She's, and I mean, she's also a product of Tennis Canada. Like, this is their pride and joy. And... A legit star she, in the women's course, game. Of course. She is a star. But, you know, we're huge fans of Dasha Kazatkina. I was pulling for her. I would think I was one of two people in the stadium. That Maybe other guy. The other one. And that other guy way up in so three the top us. saying, Davai Dasha. Oh, she, he would just scream out, Kazatkina! <laughs> the only, the only voice. And strangely, the crowd, I felt, was very dead for most of that match. It was really, it was just quiet. It was a very strange atmosphere pretty much until the end. 
See, I didn't have that experience. Oh, I did. I don't know what you expected, but it was a pretty lively crowd. Hmm, I Everybody thought... wanted Bianca to win. They yeah. were in it. Okay, so let's get to the, for her to win it. Let's get to the meat of it. The first set was very entertaining. Dasha's game looks a lot different in person. Mm-hmm. Like, you can watch her on TV and not get it and say she just hits these puff balls. I don't understand. She's so untalented. If you go watch her in person, you get a completely different reading of her game. Except the serve is more alarming in person. Oh, yeah. The second serve is... Astounding. Indeed. And not in a good way. But the rest of it, like she hits with these amazing arcing spins that sort of dip and hit the back, the baseline. She's inventive and she's fun to watch, I find. And we had the perfect seats to watch her that night because, and this is something I was thinking about all week as we kind of had different seats at different angles for different sessions. When you're sitting toward the side of the court, you get to see the spins on the ball in ways you cannot if you're sitting behind the players, like behind the baseline or at a slight angle. You get a completely different viewpoint of the tennis. Mm -hmm. And so here I want y'all to tell us what are your favorite viewpoints to watch a live tennis match? Because I feel like every single one has its benefit, Mm -hmm. unless you're way up in the nosebleeds. (laughs) And you, I mean, we, for years, that's Mm -hmm. where we sat because that's all we could afford. Mm Mm-hmm. In this match, you could see her ground strokes and her ground game and its potency really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how frustrating it could be to an opponent and how she knows how to open up the court to hit a winner, even if she's not the most powerful player out there. And in this in this match, Bianca wasn't much more powerful than Dasha. Right. You had, she wasn't blowing her off the court. It was a battle of tricksters out there. <laughs> Let me tell you, Dasha's spin had the amateur line callers shook. Mm. What is this impulse among people to call every line out loud? Shut up. In the middle of a point. This is electronic line calling. Who are you arguing? Are you arguing with God? Well, most of them did not know it was electronic line calling. I guarantee To be fair, they were so, had such a lack of perception, they didn't even realize there weren't line umpires out there. But you know, it's always men. And it's always men being super loud and letting us know that they're super ignorant. And then they're like, challenge that, challenge that. I'm like, dude, it's a computer. What are you going to challenge? This goes back to our previous discussion about how uneducated a lot of the Toronto crowd was about tennis. And you wanted to not gatekeep it. What I want to gatekeep is having men be loud, obnoxious, wrong, and stupid (laughs) at tennis matches. Because we do not need that. Mm-hmm. Because, to be frank, I don't want them coming back. Oh. I don't want them. Oh, I, I do not. I'm, I've had it up to here. My <laughs> bandwidth has burst. Having to sit down, being held captive with men, yappa, 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 right behind me. The entirety of the match. Like this one dude, the entire match was like, get her, get her, get her. Out, out, in, in, out, get her, get her. Like, see, the thing that bothers me is talking at outdoor level in the middle of the point because we weren't that far from the court too no but why do you need like i guarantee you nobody needs to know your opinion on whether or not every single ball was in or out nobody needs to know that and this dude was with this woman i don't know if it was a date i guarantee you he was trying to impress her with his knowledge and doing his little sports thing 
And it's just so tiresome. <laughs> I realize I have a tennis podcast and I talk sport for a semi-living. But in my regular life, this whole man-to-man bro, sports talk, banter, fill the time, I have zero interest in it. Mm-hmm. Like somebody hears I have a tennis podcast, they want to shoot the shit about tennis. I almost want to be like, just here's the link, just download. Like I don't have it in me. I don't want to talk about who I think is going to win outside of this podcast, even on this podcast. <laughs> like, oh, so who do you think so, is going to win the Rogers Cup? So what you're telling me is you like the opinions to flow in one direction from you to other people. Only when I have to on the podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, I just want to be left in. Déjame en paz. That's all I want. And so when these men bring this brodom, this sports brodom to the tennis devoid of any understanding of what's going on it it breaks my soul sorry beyonce mm. i personally don't want to be gatekeepy about who comes to tennis i just want people to be quiet i've said this many times before i love watching sports in total silence and when i go to tennis i just sit there and i know that's unusual like, even the serena match that you saw where I she clap, won i clap at appropriate times but I'm not talking in the middle of a point. I I just kind of sit there. No, it was fun when the player when the crowd is yelling out. Oh yeah. Dabai Dasha. But when you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're just sitting there. But my point is, don't you enjoy when it all coalesces in such an organic oh, way? Oh yeah, totally. Like if we weren't so disgusted by this match, we would have enjoyed the moment for Bianca in front of her home oh, crowd. Oh my god. Okay, so let's, I must have been the only person who just sat there. And did not get up. Even you got up after that It was lunch. a very pointed sitting. We actually have to talk about it because you've gotten ahead of yourself here. A really entertaining first set. But Bianca was clearly struggling with something, mm-hmm. right? And we, the crowd had no idea what it was. We had heard that she had suffered a back injury the week before. Some people around us were talking about the back. She crouched down a few times, which looked like, okay, maybe she's stretching out the back, which is something I have done. If my back is hurting, like squatting and sort of stretching. Uh, It turns out she was feeling ill, Mm -hmm. like sick to her stomach. Apparently she ate too much before the match. I have to tell you, the crowd had no idea what was going on. And from what I hear, the commentators didn't really know that much either on TV. So from our perspective, what we saw was the girl who cried wolf again, right? We saw the theatrics. And Allegedly. Ex- no, I'm, I'm telling you what we thought we saw. Okay. Right? And No, but allegedly she does that all the time. Allegedly. She, she, people accuse her of being dramatic or, or engaging in gamesmanship. And I think there's some validity to that. So I have to admit, I brought that bias to the match. And what really got me is that at 2-1, I think it was 2-1 in the tiebreak... Right before Dasha was to serve, Bianca just went and sat down. Mm-hmm. And she looked agonized, and she, the, all the medical staff came over to her, and she looked like she was going to quit. I was like, oh, she's, she's retiring. And then she just gets back up and plays and wins the tiebreak. And to me, I did not like that. I still don't like that. And I'm, I believe that she was ill. I, mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that she was sick. She wasn't making it up or anything. But being in the crowd, I was like, what the hell is going on? I think there's a simple solution. 
The simple solution is, if you are that unwell, you say, yo Dasha, just toss a couple in and then go sit down. You forfeit a couple exactly. points. You know that you cannot do this in this moment. You are not entitled to hold up your opponent, especially on their serve. Like well, that to me, that is a non-starter. Well, because what was that? What was it? It's a non-starter. Apparently, it is technically within the... I did look up the rules because mm -hmm. I was very confused. And if a player believes that they've developed an acute, treatable condition necessitating an immediate stop in play, then they can seek medical treatment. Is that what this was? I don't know. But to me... Well, there was no treatment There given. was no treatment. The, so, the trainer came and was like, I got nothing for you, boo. Like, I, I can't do any, anything for you in that moment. So... Be that as it were, then those points should have gone to Dasha. Those two points, right. as far as I am concerned. And that will also go a long way toward eliminating any projections or suspicions of gamesmanship. Because if a player is willing to forfeit those two points, then you know something's re quote-unquote really wrong. And you're not then disadvantaging the opponent as much. Right. If you are interested, you can look at the WTA rulebook, page 369. Because I needed to know, right? Now, it says that the player is expected to be forthright about whether she believes she suffers with an acute medical condition that warrants a stop in play. So in this case, the umpire believed that the player was being forthright. It didn't issue any sort of violation. And the tiebreak went on. Dasha was very clearly rattled by it. And, of course, as a, as a professional athlete, it is your job to deal with those things and overcome them. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying that as an excuse. But to me, it's, it really sucked a lot of air out of the stadium. Like, did you feel that? Yes, she won the tiebreak, but I think people were very confused about what was going on. And then the first few games of the second set, the atmosphere was dead, dead, dead for a Canadian player. It was, just, it was a very weird match to be at. Coco Goff. I'm here to tell you that her backhand in person is the truth that you suspected it to be. <laughs> I love it. That's just a bullet point. Coco's backhand is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then you go and watch her on the practice court and she spends a couple of minutes just firing backhands down the line. And it's like, nobody's out here doing it like this. Nobody mm. on the WTA is doing it like this. <laughs> Let serves. Okay. This, this is something we've talked about on the show before. This machine. What is going on with this machine? Lies. Liza Manelli lies is what's happening. So many times we were watching these matches and it's like, uh, that that's a let? The players are like, the players, that's a let? They didn't hear anything. They didn't see anything. Like, just let the point continue in that case. I feel like, why do we have a machine to test the lets, is it all that serious? It, it, it didn't even change the trajectory of the ball in any way. Mm -hmm. if, if, the, if the trajectory of the ball, the pace of the ball is altered in any significant way as detectable by the eye of the umpire, sure. I think that's mm -hmm. where I am right now. But if both players are just like, okay, can we just move on? I, I don't believe this machine, no way. Because... No. Sometimes you hear it click, you hear the ball thwack against the net cord and nothing happens. The machine doesn't go off. Is this thing on? Two players who were, again, as they have been in the past, for me, incredible to watch live. Camila Georgie mm. and 
Yelena Ostapenko. Yes. I didn't get to see Georgie. You said in the second set against Raducanu, she just fired. She was just firing from the jump. (laughs) (laughs) Hitting laser bullets from the baseline. Mm -hmm. The serve is wonky. We know that she's led the tour in double faults many times. But when Camila is on, the no-nonsense brazenness of her ground game is just a lot of fun to watch. Mm, that's a good word for it. She is brazen, just in general. As is Ostapenko. Yes. I got to watch her from five feet away, standing room, waiting to get into her match on court one. And I just stood there. It's like, what is the point of sitting down when you have this vantage point? <laughs> and she'd be down love 40, 15, 40. And whereas other players would be playing it safe... Watching her live just blast her way out of those situations with the confidence and the certainty of an irrational person. (laughs) (laughs) Like, grant me that. Right? Right? And it's just a lot of fun to watch live. I know we talk a lot about our misgivings about Astapenko on this show, but yapping, yapping away about it. From the comfort of our living room slash kitchen, watching it on TV is a totally different experience than watching it live. Which is to say, if you ever get to live tennis and you haven't yet watched her, hope that she's on and go watch her. Mm -hmm. And my recommendation is to watch her in doubles. I absolutely love watching her play doubles in person because I like to see how someone like Yelena interacts with a partner. The way she interacts with her team. She's really good at doubles. The way she interacts with her team on such a small court where they're five minutes away. Five minutes away? (laughs) Five feet away. Something untoward happens. A let cord that dribbles over onto her side of the court and she turns around disgusted (laughs) and looks at her team. (laughs) Say nothing of the dress. Because that... that, Can we say... I say everything about the dress. Meaning... Talking about... Meaning all this, and then there's the dress. To see it up close, making no sense at all, but yet perfect sense for her? No, but uh, I said it earlier, the the captivating thing about Ostapenko is the sincerity. Mm -hmm. It's not ironic. Nothing about her is ironic. It may be mean-spirited. Maybe not deliberately mean-spirited, but it's mean-spirited, but also sincere. I'm just saying... Well, yeah, of course. She approaches things with honesty. I don't always love it, but she's honest. She likes her dress, and she doesn't really care if you don't. She's not making a joke about herself. At this tournament, I was struck, even more so than I have been in the past, by the diversity in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And I don't go to, or I haven't been, to many other tournaments live. It's certainly not the case in Mason, Ohio. (laughs) Where no, which like, is a demographic thing, I guess. Like, like ten to twenty percent of the crowd in Toronto is made up of black people. Like that is not happening in Mason, Ohio. No, so I will say uh, I've noticed this in Toronto. Even when Serena and Venus are not playing, there is a really large proportion of black tennis fans who attend Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Toronto is also just home to many 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 different immigrant groups right like we're one of the most diverse cities in this hemisphere and so when you see a final with Haddad Maya and Halep they're gonna show up Mm -hmm. like the Brazilian and Portuguese speaking community is huge here enormous 
is is one of the largest linguistic groups in Toronto. We have a Romanian community, which is smaller, but they come out. They come out for halap. So you're going to get that atmosphere. But I've noticed going to Toronto, like, you're going to, you could see a Bulgarian player, uh, an Egyptian player. Like, there's going to be a group for everybody. Whereas attending Cincinnati or Charleston, that's been the North American experiences for us thus far you get the overwhelming sense that the tennis patronage is very buttoned up and very white. It is, And whatever ignorance you encounter on site is due to the privilege of it all. In Toronto, it's just due to the ignorance of it all. (laughs) Just maybe the the newness to tennis as a sport. Like, you get a lot of folks who are excited about their player, right? Mm -hmm. They're proud about repping this player. Uh, And they may not be tennis fans, and they don't have to be like it. They just bring a lot of enthusiasm and not to paint Cincinnati with a broad brush. Right. Like I think Cincinnati attracts a lot of very knowledgeable fans. There's also a set that's kind of there for the the wine happy hour social thing. I did not you see know. one adult in a tennis kit. <laughs> that wasn't a player in Toronto. Yeah. In, Toronto. in that, Cincinnati, you yeah. see that all the time. And, Women I, walking around in their country club attire. To watch the tennis. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about tennis. Um, in Toronto, you saw a lot of kids in their tennis kits. Yeah, that's cute. The Serena match, did you catch the group of black and brown kids that came to watch? Mm-hmm. There was like 30, 40 of them yes. on some kind of excursion. Uh, what an experience. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I met some uh, older black women who drove up from Rochester, my hometown, just to watch the tennis. And so you get, you actually get like a ton of knowledgeable fans from upstate mm-hmm. New York who make the drive, right? Um, and But I think part of this is the Raptors effect. Toronto has done something very unique with the Raptor fandom. And part of that is Drake and, and the branding around the Raptors. It's the multicultural team, right? It's supposed to be the team that represents what the greater Toronto area really looks like. What inclusion And if you like. go to Raptors game... You feel that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like part of that is creeping into the tennis, which is really cool. Especially since Toronto now has homegrown talent. Canada has homegrown superstar talent. Mm -hmm. And when they play, as Bianca did, they're going to show out for them. And if you get an Indian or Pakistani Canadian player show up, forget it. Brampton is out here. (laughs) Like, (laughs) no, but really, the, the crowd will be wild. Yeah, I feel like I was very uncharitable to the Toronto crowd. <laughs> Just that, because that there, one. There was a lot of good about it. So many times on site, I heard people say, oh, I'm going to go check out that girl, the one whose father owns the bills. <laughs> I heard it so many times. I can't yes. tell you how many See, times I heard it. We're very close to Buffalo. Uh, and people in southern Ontario and upstate New York, they know the Pagulas as the owners of the bills. Or the Pegola. Pegolas. Pegola. Pegola. <laughs> But they know they know the parents. They may not know Jesse, but they do now. Overall, being back at live tennis was such a refresher for me personally. I don't know if it was for you, but it makes doing the podcast easier, I think, especially during this stretch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you just like you get a different feel when you're there in person. Like I said, watching Dasha is such a totally different experience. Watching Simona, uh, of course, watching Serena like that's a given that's that's a gift the fact that I can watch 
the GOAT in 2022 in her 40s play tennis in Toronto? That Like, that's amazing. But in general, yeah, it, it sort of re-sparked something in me. It also reminds you about certain things that you had maybe forgotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been so long that I've been at any event since COVID. So just being there was uh, mostly good. It reminded you that you actually <laughs> like watching Simona Halep. Which is so weird. Super weird. But it reminded me just how good these players are. It's yeah. so easy to slag them off watching from home and just spouting off on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But when you watch them live, even when they lose, it doesn't feel like the embarrassment you make it seem by having watched two points <laughs> and just looked at the at the scoreline, yeah. you know? Yeah, it it does make me like re-appreciate it. And again, like I have to emphasize, it's such a privilege to be able to go. I remember years ago when we were young and had no money, it was like I could barely afford a 300 level seat in the stadium. We got money now? I guess slightly more than we did, but you know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that said, there are very few bad seats in Toronto. Yeah, it's a pretty good stadium. Like Mm -hmm. it's intimate. We've got more live tennis coming up. I will be in New York for the US Open through Saturday of Labor Day weekend. If your back slash body slash decrepitude starts to improve... You're talking to me? (laughs) Uh By the end of the year, then maybe we can head to a fall event together. Who knows? Perchance. Cincinnati is this week. Mm -hmm. Winston-Salem, Cleveland. There's a few things in the following week. And then we'll get to the U.S. Open. I have to say, it, it is weird having just been to tennis and not going to Cincinnati. Yes. Because we went there... I think from like 2015 to 2019, a few, you know, a few years you were impressed, a few years we were both impressed. At least uh, five years in a row we went. Yeah. And so this will be the first, well, I guess it's not really a non-COVID year. It's still a COVID year. We haven't been back to Cincinnati since the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting a little bit of FOMO uh, from the folks that I know, from friends who are in Cincinnati, but I'm also remembering like... I wish things were open later. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are at The Body Surf on Twitter and Instagram. Linktree.com slash The Body Surf. Get your dogs and cats and birds and lizards and hamsters. Body Surf pet merch. I think it's really just dogs and cats. Well, I mean, lizards. I, lizards like to have their own mat and blanket. Guinea, maybe guinea pigs. <laughs> Chinchillas. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. Till next time. Thank, thank you. Mikey. Thank you very much. <laughs>